Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. We've got Colin Brister, the first uh, Sunday reaction show of the year as we well, talk through all elements of Ole Miss's rather uneventful sweep over Delaware, and then took your questions uh, via Twitter toward the end of the pod. So good conversation. I think, you enjoy, think you'll enjoy it. Before we get to that, though, I want to remind you, the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix eight Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Simply put, if you're not using Skybox and you're in the wagering game, you're missing out on cash. They're crushing it in college basketball. They made money in football this season. Might as well jump on as March Madness gets heated up. Uh, you've got the Skybox NASCAR package. Skybox Mark over there at the NASCAR department. Uh, they're starting up this week. I believe you had the first race of the season. Uh, you had Ricky Stenhouse Jr. win the Daytona 500. So be sure to check that out. All you have to do is go online, skyboxsportspicks.com. Find a picks package. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. You can do all sports. You can pick one sport. Whatever it is within your price range, they're going to have something for you. Type in the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, and that'll get you 20% off. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg if you're a Rippy Wright subscriber. You get a free newsletter from me at rippywrights.substack.com. And discounted meats right now, it is three six-ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. That's about a $40 valuation you're getting for 20 bucks there. Hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. Weather's starting to slowly warm up a little bit. Go buy LB's, throw something delicious on the grill. All kinds of delicious stuff over there. Fresh seafood, all kinds of delicious cuts of sausage. I like the tri-tips. Filet burgers are always a good way to go. Check them out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here's Colin Brister on the Rebels 3-0 start in baseball. All right, we now welcome on the man himself, Rippy Wright's baseball correspondent, Colin Brister. Will I uh, hit a lot of the different facets of Ole Miss's really uneventful sweep of the uh, Delaware Fighting Blue Hens? Um, I'll give you a hot take off the top. Uh, I do not think Delaware will be one of the final eight teams in Nebraska this fall. Don't don't see Delaware traveling to Nebraska. Yeah, me either. I don't want to write them off this early in the season, but uh. It would take a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I saw I saw their ace throw 86 miles an hour, and I was like, huh, it's going to be a problem. Yeah, that's one of those, like, indicators, too. Like, whenever you have, like, a smaller school come in, it's like, you know, half the time the smaller school is like, they might have, like, a real dude that you would have to worry with for, uh, you know, a few innings and the Friday game could get weird. But I kind of saw the same thing. That kid was in the mid-80s, um, really not a lot of life on the break and stuff. And I was like, all right, if this is the Friday, uh, this is probably not going to go well for the Hens. <laughs> yeah, and it did yeah. It did not, decidedly. It, it at no point went well for them. And one of the things that was interesting, too, was, uh, you know, you have the new rule, 10-run rule for conference games and uh, our guys from Delaware, I forget the head coach or the manager or whatever you want to call him's name, um, you know, they did it the old-fashioned way. You can agree on it before a series start that if it gets to 10 runs to implement a 10-run rule. Most of these smaller schools, I'd say the majority don't do it because, you know, they want the experience and to get as many guys in there as possible. Uh, but the head man of the hens was like, no, nah, we're good. We're, we can actually end this. <laughs> I'm, t- I'm tired of this. Let me get back to the Hilton. Get some DoorDash in me. <laughs> So I uh, I couldn't decide if I respected him more or less for it. 
But the game on Friday, excuse me, on uh, Saturday ended after a 10-run rule, and you kind of heard murmurs of like, oh, it's the new rule. And I'm like, no, no, I don't think that's the new rule. I'm pretty sure the new rule is just for conference games. I think this was the old-fashioned just, uh, actually, we will tap out. Uh, we don't need to continue <laughs> doing this anymore. So uh, a couple of uh, time-efficient uh, time games, if you want to look at it on the bright side. Yeah, yeah. No, it's cer- certainly uh, some time efficiency is uh, – been good this weekend. I saw that uh, Ole Miss State and Southern Miss all finished their games in under three hours on on Friday night. So uh, the the pitch clock certainly has uh, has has arrived. You were uh, in the stadium for baseball today, and you also went to the women's basketball game. Uh, Yo's crew loses a uh, heartbreaker in overtime to the best team in the country in South Carolina. On um, I was telling you, I was actually going to watch it. I got home from the baseball game myself. Um, was going to turn it on, and then I uh, I had the most dad nap. A nap of all time possible where I actually just fell asleep sitting down on the couch and I woke up and the thing was in overtime and I was like well I've screwed up here but it looked pretty cool yeah no it was a cool scene Ole Miss um man you know you can talk about a lot of different things um you know the the, the play at the end of regulation where they don't get a shot and South Carolina gets the final heave at the buzzer it was kind of unfortunate but it, yeah they lost in overtime but it was a team that was down the entire game um I think they led maybe once in the second half for like 30 seconds um and they just kept coming and just kept coming and you knew when you didn't get that shot to fall or, or get a shot at the end of regulation it was going to be tough to continue to play five more minutes against the best team in the country um but man i, I don't know it was I, I made myself i hadn't been to a women's basketball game since my senior year of college and, and i was there and you know uh, dad was with me and, and he was you know hey let's let's go over and i made myself go today and you know, I, I just remembered, uh, you know, I, I would go cover games uh, my senior year in college when I worked at the DM. And I just remember them being so, 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 so bad um, and just getting wrecked with uh, Enzel there. And to, to see where the program is comparatively. I mean, this this in all seriousness, I think Ole Miss scored four points against South Carolina in Yo's second year um, and a half. Um, and to, you know, three years later, take that, that team to overtime is, is a look, obviously you don't want to claim about moral victories, but sometimes there are right. Like, you know, 95% of the time you don't want to claim a moral victory. I feel like taking the best team in the country, an undefeated team into, into overtime and having a shot to win at the regulation. If you're ever going to claim one, this, this might be one. Particularly in a sports like women's basketball where, like, the elite talent, it's a very top-heavy sport. There's not a lot of parity in there. Where you see, like, NCAA tournament games between, like, you know, your normal seeding matchups beyond, like, 1-16 and kind of decided by 25, 30 points sometimes. I think it does matter, and it comes on the heels three days after where they went down to uh, LSU – Seemed like they fell victim to a uh, to a friendly whistle in favor of the home team down there, and we're in that game. And I know that uh, Kim Mulkey, who uh, actually that's Kramer Robertson's mom, um, not yeah, that many people that. out there know that she's got it rolling down there. So you took kind of the two best teams in the conference. It seems like I know Tennessee's pretty good as well from kind of the minimal aspect I've kept up, but down to the wire, back to back games that has to matter for something. And it does sound like they're going to make the NCAA tournament, which is cool too. Yeah, yeah, they'll make the NCAA tournament for the second year in a row. Um, you know, win today, and you're talking about hosting in the first and second round, but they'll have to go on the road somewhere more than likely. But still, I mean, when you consider where this program was uh, when she took over, it's a, it's a heck of a feat. So, um, definitely, it was a cool environment, too. I mean, the the bottom section was, I'm not going to say sold out, but it was packed. Um, so, yeah, really, really cool scene. I'm, I'm glad we started with them. 
um, you know, obviously, but because of what they were accomplished today, I, I also figure we started with women's basketball today because um, college baseball is dead. Because I don't know if you know this, the Handsome. team that invented it lost two games this weekend, one to a school named uh, Grand Canyon. Not sure if you can lose to a national, uh, you know, landmark and still continue to play baseball or how that works, but uh, I guess we'll find out. Yeah, I, I don't know what, like, the athletic ability is because it is just a large hole in the ground, but it seems like they could swing it pretty well. Um, my first question was just how dare them? Like, what did, did they not get the memo? Why, why did they do that? Why did they win? Why did, why did Greg get – did you see my friend from Tennessee try to call time and get pissed off? Yeah, and I use it as – I had, uh, had a couple of course lights. I was like, I'm going to be snarky on the internet. Um, uh, and I, I quote tweeted or whatever. In, in the kid's defense, that rule does kind of stink, and they're having to get used to it. But the fact that it was Tennessee, and then he was so, like, demonstrative after he, like, threw the bat after it was a walk and kind of gave – He got a walk and yelled at the umpire, like, just shut up, homie. Yeah, exactly, dude. Just take your base. I, I couldn't resist that. So uh, we made it like what? That was a total of, I don't know, seven innings into the season before you had some uh, Tennessee versus an umpire controversy, which is <laughs> which is nice. That that took us a long time to get into. Did Vitella throw a bat at somebody this weekend? I don't think throw. he assaulted anyone. So uh, pat on the back to him, credit to him. We we're getting better. Yeah, so that's, that's nice. You know, they may not have won, but no one was assaulted on their behalf, which uh, – that's growth. So, you know, by the end of this year, we probably – that might be – that might Maybe be they'll shake hands baseball. with somebody after they lose. Yeah, exactly. Like, so, you know, no hospital visits. Everyone made it out in one piece. And, uh, you know, the score's really secondary after that, if you, if you really think about it. Uh, in all seriousness, I feel like if, you know, I'm the Tennessee Volunteers and I score a whole, you know, two runs on Arizona, I believe, and three runs on Grand Canyon – um, I might, you know, be concerned about, uh, you know, my team because I saw Arizona pitch the baseball last year and uh, they suck. So um, the volunteers might want to be concerned about where they're at. Yeah, that was a tough one. Arizona was not very good last year and they really handled. Um, I caught a decent bit of that game afterward. I wouldn't say I was watching it like closely, but uh, yeah, that that was tough. I don't know how, how much better Arizona's pitching has got in a year, but if, if last year was any sort of uh, – any sort of indicator, uh, yeah, that that might be a struggle for the Vols this year. But uh, obviously, very early on, from an Ole Miss perspective, what uh, I don't even know these these non conference series are always interesting because like the results never really in doubt, and so I never know where to start. I'll just throw it any direction you want to go. What stuck out to you most this weekend uh, for Ole Miss? All right, so I'll be candid. I uh, at the recording of this podcast, I have watched a grand total of zero pitches from Friday and Saturday uh, live. I went back and watched um, some of Sanye's start um, and have seen the highlights. So um, we we had a game Friday and Saturday night. So it's just kind of a hit or miss with me. Um, I thought uh, Jacob Gonzalez was really good on Sunday. I like it when he hits grand slams and three run doubles. Those are fun. Um, I think. The Furnace Kid. You know who the Furnace Kid remind me of? Um, Kevin Graham. I think that, look, it's obviously, a, he, he. I'm talking about just from a swing perspective. I think the Furnace Kid is going to be really, really good for Ole Miss. Um, I didn't see enough of Clarko to have an opinion. Um, Calvin Harris, going to be a good catcher, uh, breaking news. Um, Kemp Alderman hit a ball really, really far because he's really strong. Um, Peyton Chatney was a really good surprise this weekend. He was not awesome surprised. this weekend. Yeah, surprise maybe not the right word, but I think what's so valuable for Ole Miss is like 
they may be good enough to put him in the six and seven hole and uh good luck. So, cause that kid can hit. And if he's in the six or seven hole again, good luck. Um, I thought Leger, I'm not exactly sure how to say that played a really good third base. Um, I don't know. Look, obviously Delaware stinks, but I, I think there were some signs, um, opponent with notwithstanding that that Ole Miss is going to be a really good baseball team this year. Um I will ask because I, I didn't think about this until somebody texted me asking, uh Mason Nichols didn't throw this weekend. Any reason why or you know anything? Yeah, so Chase actually included an anecdote at this in uh in his story from I think Saturday. Um and I think it's one of those things we actually got a question about this which we'll kind of get to like the questions in general at the end. I think so he apparently warmed up twice on Friday. So Mike got him up twice on Friday, but he never made it actually made it into the game. And so I think he was a little bit hesitant to use him on Saturday. Then you get a couple shortened games in a row. And it seemed to me just a product of you couldn't quite get everybody in. You know, Mike went with all newbies today uh, in terms of like newcomers to the program. So I really think it was just a sheer product of, hey, you can't get everybody in, particularly when you're not exactly getting 27 innings. That was the way I read it. I don't think there's much more to read into it, particularly once I saw that note that he actually went up, got up, got hot, I guess, as the guys call it, twice on Friday um, without actually getting into the game. So that probably kind of threw his weekend off to a weird start, but I don't think there's much more to read into it. Yeah, and that's probably a kid that it doesn't affect. Like, he doesn't pitch opening weekend. Exactly. It'll be okay. So um, you you certainly want to get those new guys on the bump um, before a guy that's, you know, thrown in, you know, the College World Series three different times. So um, yeah, definitely not be fine. Yeah, no, as long as there's no injury. That's what I was – I didn't know if there was possibly an injury or something I missed, so th- that's certainly good to hear. Um no, it was look, it's good weekends, obviously as good as it can get. Um they'll win Tuesday and then next weekend, a real good Maryland team who's ranked number thirteen according to D one baseball is rolling into town and Ole Miss better be ready to go. I mean, I think when we do this podcast um a week from now, we'll be able to have a much better read on the Ole Miss Rebels than we are today. Yeah, I'm with you. And that's kind of like a welcomed uh not a welcome change, but just like last year, you didn't really get a great gauge for how good or uh, how good or bad this team was early on in the year. I know they played that one road series at UCF. They went two or three there. I don't exactly remember what UCF ended up doing, but I don't think they were overly good. Whereas now, at least on paper, the second week of the season, you're actually going to have a pretty good benchmark series for just how good this team was. I kind of echoed a lot of the similar points in terms of like what stood out the most to me this weekend is uh as you did, um, I really just had one general note written down. It's like the vibes were tremendous. I don't know if I'm too old to be able to say stuff like that anymore, but it just seemed like they were all in, uh, you know, like for a guy like Chatagne. I mean, you talk about having such an up and down year last year, kind of the roller coaster ride to getting benched to everything that he went through last year. Um, he just looked like he was having a ton of fun. Um, he kind of yeah. had a couple weird like trot strut things uh, after each one of his home runs. He just looked like he was having a great time and it looked like a confident team that actually had some newcomers into the program, maybe a little bit more than we gave it credit for in the offseason, really looking like they didn't miss a beat at all and had a damn ton of fun doing it. Yeah, no, look, um, it's easy to go play baseball with, you know, after everything that transpired last year. Um, so, you know, I, I think that I can echo that statement. It just looked like they enjoyed playing the game. They've got a bunch of dudes that can play, man. They've got dudes over there that aren't going to play very much that can play. Um, this yeah. roster is stacked. So, you know, it's which is a good thing because I think they're going to lose a ton of offensive production after this year. So, um, no, it's a, it's a really good team. And, and 
you know, we'll find out how good over the next week or so, because I think, frankly, I think the next two weeks are going to tell us a lot about this team. So um, definitely a good start, as good as it could be. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll see where it kind of goes from 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 there when when Maryland rolls into town next week. Uh, I guess Arkansas State Tuesday, but I don't feel like Ole Miss will have much issue with the uh, Red Wolves. I do not think they will have a ton of issues with the uh, with the Red Wolves either. Um, one of the things too, you talk about uh, you talk about uh, Ethan Leger. Do you think it's part of Mike's uh, recruiting pitch um, where he's like, "Hey, does your name not sound like the way it's spelled?" <laughs> Boom! All right, here you go. Here you can join the eleven point seven here um, between Shad and Yay, um, Cam, Deshaun, Bousfield, Bosfield. There's been a ton through the years where it's just like, look, we need your name to be as confusing as humanly possible in terms of the way it reads on the back of the jersey versus how it says. We need to make Glenn Waddle earn his paycheck up there in the PA booth. Do you think that's a recruiting strategy? Do you think it's a recruiting? Well, hold on, hold on. Let me let me. Uh... Let me preface it or let me phrase it this way. Do you think it may be a recruiting pitch that Glenn Waddle can say their name correctly? Because I bet it gets mispronounced a ton. And then you get a guy like Glenn Waddle who pronounces it correctly. Do you think that might be part of the recruiting pitch? Hey, our guy can say your name right. That's a terrific point. And I'm imagining if you're if you're showing them kind of a highlight package of what uh of what Glenn Waddle brings to the table, it's probably just the sheer joy he took in making Cam Deshaun's name sound as French as humanly possible. So it's like if your name <laughs> needs a little bit of pizzazz, our guy is absolutely going to put his back into it when he says it. <laughs> in all seriousness, I just noticed this this weekend. Uh, zero zero errors for the Rebels this weekend, which is you good. You talk about opponents and not knowing what to make of it, a bad opponent. That's something that would stand above if they had a high school team. Yeah. The fact that they had zero errors was a tremendous sign. They fielded really well for the better part of the weekend, too. Well, I think they're – I mean, this is a no-dust statement, but I think they're really good in the field. Um, like, you talk about talk about Chatnier, who made no errors after, like, I don't know, February 1st or some crap last year. Uh, Calvin Harris is really good at, at catcher. Uh, you have maybe the best shortstop in the country. Um, and I think Leger is going to be – he reminded me so much of Bench at third, and I know that's a that's probably too early to say that, but the way they moved around, he looked like JB. Um, probably a little early to tell about Clarko. He didn't have to do a ton, but obviously, um, I mean, they feel comfortable with him there. And then you've got, you know, a center fielder in center field and a center fielder in right field. So um, certainly helps there. So uh, I think they've got a chance to be actually really, really good defensively. I agree. I'm glad you went there. So, because, like, the first base, too, I don't know what to make of, like, the Clarker thing as well. And it actually looked like he exited the game with a little bit of tightness uh, somewhere in his lower leg. I texted Chase about it, and then he got back to me and said it looked like a um, – I think he asked someone after I texted him or whatever, and he said it was, like, a little bit of a quad thing. Uh, he's probably fine, mostly just a precautionary uh, measure. But provides a little bit of, like, athleticism there. Well, Miss said, you know, with respects to my guy, Sykes Orvis, and some guys through the years, they haven't had a ton of just kind of really overly great athletes there at first base. Again, super early in the season, I kind of like to see more of a sample size. But you're right, even at kind of the places where they've been a little lacking in the field in past years, they got a chance to be pretty good. You mentioned having two center fielders out there in the outfield. Alderman, actually, he didn't get tested a ton this weekend that I saw, but he moves pretty well. Like, he's a big athletic kid. Oh, yeah. Not like Dillard playing out there solely because of his bat. Now, look, Alderman's in the lineup predominantly because of his bat. It's not making web gems left and right out there. But a good guy that looks like a pretty natural mover in the outfield as well compared to some dudes they've had to stick out there in years past. Yeah, no, no, they've got guys that can play in the field. I think Alderman, um, look, man, I mean, he's the backup catcher. He's, he's flexible for sure. And so 
Um, you talk about a guy that they thought might actually throw innings when he arrived on campus. So, um, you know, he'll, he'll be fine in the outfield. And, you know, I think Furness is going to be a good defender at some point. And, um, you know, they, they, they've got dudes that can certainly play in the field. So, um, it, it's, you know, that's kind of where they got in trouble last year. They were pretty bad defensively. I don't think that's going to happen this year. Um, I'm with you there. I did, it, it looks like a much better defensive team, which is interesting. And it's just, it's like it's not a ton of new pieces. It's just like the pieces are either pretty good, like you already had in the middle of the infield, or you just kind of it was addition by uh, – not an addition by subtraction, but basically just get better by adding another outfielder. Like the pieces so, that they added on the periphery um, kind of make them much better fielding than they were last year despite returning as much as they do. The only thing that, that may be different, uh, but it's not necessarily a bad thing, um, is you don't really have much versatility. Like you don't have the – infielder that can go play outfield like you, you like you did with jb last year right. um you know and you don't really have the infielder that come, i guess tj if he had to in a pinch could come and play on the dirt but you don't you know your guys kind of play the positions they're in so you can't really move a ton of guys around i don't really think um outside of maybe alderman to catcher but if you do that then something bad happened to calvin harris and that's a problem um but you know i outside of that and that's nitpicking um you know, that, I think they're going to be very, very good defensively. Yeah, two newcomers uh, really waste no time getting their uh, getting their first career home run. You had it happen in the first at bat with Furness and uh, a guy named Judd Uterman. I yeah, you don't believe he's Saturday, real, right? You can't tell me you hear a name like Judd Uter, or excuse me, Utermark. I about said Uterman and immediately think of Witsack. <laughs> what happened in a past life? What's his deal? What's he up to? I'm I'm, I'm early he, on he, this. Or, or, I don't think anything. I don't think everything adds up with this guy's story. I was heard was told he's a very athletic kid that was hurt in the fall, came from North Carolina. But I think there's more to this story. Past life, uh, Judge Utermark. If you knew it, what's up? What happened with it? So, 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 Harmontown. Do you know where Harmontown is outside of Oxford? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Harmontown. Okay, you know they they say I'm just putting this out there. There's a theory among people in Oxford that that some witness protection folks are out there. Ooh, are we? Are we are we willing to go there with Judd Utermark? I'm gonna have to do some investigating. If he knows what uh, Harmontown is or says he lives anywhere near there, I, I think this case is closed. Yeah, I had a buddy in uh, college. He was like, he like came to me. He's like, you ever been to Harmontown? I'm like, uh, no, but I know what you're talking about. I was like, you ever met anybody from there? And at the time, I was like, no. And he was like, they say witness protection people get put out there. And then I met like four people from Harmontown that were like, yeah, that's much crap. But it is a theory amongst some people in Oxford. So uh, maybe, maybe you could, maybe you could convince yourself that he's from Harmontown. I think I could make that leap or at least I uh, interrogate him at some point. I might use the old <laughs> press credential just to say, can I talk to you to Mark? Like sure. He had a good weekend. Well, this is not what that's about actually. This I, I don't care about baseball. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but a big dude. And in all seriousness, absolutely walloped that home run. And it sounds like a guy that could be the third baseman of the future. Yeah. And I say the future, you know, I, it's way too early to figure out what's going to happen with Ledge one way or another. And I don't mean to like bring it up as if it's like an issue at some point, but you know, Le, or excuse me, Leger is a newcomer. So like it could be something where he ends up finding time at third base as well. If things don't go well for Leger, but definitely an option to uh, uh, some depth piece, particularly a guy that can swing it with some power. It seems like they have a couple of dudes on the bench that can do that. Yeah, um, you know, obviously at some point this year, um, unless Ole Miss has a has a you know, I know we joke about him, but unless Ole Miss has a Tennessee run as they played offensively, someone at some point is going to struggle this year. 
um, and you'll have to make moves and move things around until they stop struggling. So um, certainly good to have guys like that um, that can come in and provide a spark and, and that you think, you know, could play when someone either goes down or begins to struggle or, or whatever the case may be. Um, certainly it's good showing that, that Furness and that Udermark uh, have, have the weekends that they have. Um yeah, no, look, they've, they've got depth pieces. I think, and you know, as funny as this sounds, Mike didn't do a whole, like. That's where I was going know. next. There was not yeah, a lot of lineup card attrition on there. I'm pretty sure the only changes, and correct me if I'm DH. wrong, I may have missed something, was just DH. Yeah, no, Leger started every game at third. Gonzo, Chatnier, obviously Clarko, Harris. Yeah, the three outfielders were the same. No, it's just DH. It feels like until someone struggles, this is the lineup and he's going to figure out DH on a day-by-day basis. Between Furness, um, Utermark, you know, whomever, uh, he gave uh, – look, and I don't know if the guy off yet, but I think the, the main reason he gave um, – oh, who DH on opening day? Excuse me, Reagan Burford, the opening day starter, because Mike oftentimes kind of tips – if it's kind of all things even, all things considered, kind of gives the upperclassmen the uh, – kind of the nod on opening day there, which is not uncommon for him at all. But it's kind of seeming like – those three guys, maybe one more emerges in the mix. We'll see. But you're right. I think the lineup kind of is the lineup, um, you know, aside from the DH thing, which they do have some different options there um, in terms of versatility. I don't know how matchup-centric those guys offer in terms of that type of diversity. Sure. But it was interesting. The lineup was kind of the lineup. And I can't remember that many years in the past where you didn't really see any changes in the field at all opening weekend. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting, you know, in, in complete fairness, five of the guys were never coming off the field. Um, you know, Shotgay, um, Gonzo, Alderman, McCants, and Harris, like those five are penciled in. Um, and then you, from everything we've heard, you know, Calarco, Leger, and, and, and Groff, quite frankly, was never coming off the field. So the other two guys were Leger and, and Calarco. And from everything we've heard, they've had extremely good uh, preseasons. So, didn't really see much reason for them to come off. So it, it from the standpoint of Mike usually does rotate things around opening weekend. It is a surprise, but you know, when you consider all things, um, not really surprised that, that it didn't change when you consider the five guys that are returning were never coming off. Groff was never coming off. And the other two guys had really, really good preseason camps, or I, I don't know if preseason camps, how we phrase it in baseball, whatever. And you got some lefty righty options, right? With Utermark and, sure. uh, and Furnace, and then uh, what? Burford, I guess, is right handed as well. So you got two right handers and a left hander in that mix. Is that do I have that right, or is Burford left handed? Now, uh, no, Burford's right handed. So um, you got two right handers and a left hander in there. You get at least a left handed bat option. But um, yeah, there's really not much else to say. They destroyed inferior pitching. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, that kid when Gonzalez hit the grand slam today, and I think he talked about this in the post game. He kind of had like a real big uh, a whiff at the first breaking ball threat him, and he got asked about the bat, and he was like. Man, that thing was slow. So the second time it happened, like I knew I had to wait a little bit longer, and then he uh, absolutely tattooed it uh, once he teed yeah. a little bit longer. But yeah. they, uh, they teed off on some bad pitching. As a dude that calls pitches, um, if I ever see a guy hit a first pitch curveball that the way Gonzo did, I would I would simply not call that curveball ever again because my guy just said like it was oh oh my guy sits on curveball and hits it like four hundred and fifty feet. Um, so that means curveball not very good. I wouldn't I wouldn't call that pitch again. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then Gonzo, the, I think the ball he hit. I could be wrong. I think the ball he hit that was almost gone. Um, in like the sixth inning, was hit even harder than the home run. 
Um, he had a really, really good Sunday. Yeah, he did. And it kind of was after a little bit of a slow start the first two uh, first two games. And, you know, slow start in quotation marks. What does that actually mean? You're talking <laughs> about like seven, eight at-bats here. But he kind of looked a little uh, out of sorts, I'd say, the first like three or four bats of the season. And then it quickly makes it up. I, Mike got asked about it uh, after the game. Oh, my on, God. Uh, and he was basically like, yeah, I guess that's just your punishment for being so good and the expectations are being so high. The guy has like six bad at-bats and all of a sudden you're wondering what's wrong with him. Um, <laughs> talking about some exit velos. Uh, Kemp Alderman just today had two exit velos at 116 miles an hour. Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, he had a single that I swear to God could have killed somebody. It almost killed that pitcher. <laughs> it could have killed somebody. We have a question. I guess we can get to it uh, now. How many times How how many times would you need to stop a Kemp Alderman live drive at third base that was hit right at you? Well, one, I, I don't know. I mean, if I got hit by the first one, I'd probably be dead. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd probably need 100, 200. Look at the exit views from today. It is the – so Ole Miss Baseball Analytics, which is a pretty cool Twitter account. Yeah. Going. It's OMBSB Analytics for anyone out there who wants to go look at it. The exit velo leaders today, Kemp Alderman, 116. Kemp Alderman, 116. Kemp Alderman, 112. Kemp Alderman, 110. Jacob Gonzalez, 105. <laughs> Seems good. That's not fair. That is absurd, honestly. Is he found the strongest dude you've seen in recent memory through the program? It's either it's either him or Cockrell. I was about to say Cockrell was an absolute batting practice legend, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure I saw particularly in games, you know, Cock uh Cockrell was, you know, hit straight ball far, uh, you know, curveball no good type of thing, Pedro Serrano. Yeah. But uh, he did it a lot in BP, but Kelderman hit some balls in games that it's the ones that don't go out of the ballpark. It's the singles. Yes. That, like, is he going to get thrown out at first base because it just ripped the right fielder's glove off in 0.7 seconds? Like, it's the balls that stay in the park that Elon drives are the ones that are almost more impressive because it sounds so damn loud. I swear to God, I would not want to play third base against Kemp Alderman because you are 90 feet and he's hitting a ball 115 miles an hour at your face. I don't know if you can get your glove up in time, to be honest. I'd recommend shifting if I was the third baseman. It would really have nothing to do with Speaking of, guess what the Rebels did. Can I get in left field? Can I get in shallow left? I think he's going to hit it back here. I would want to be nowhere near that. Do it it like slow pitch softball? Yes. Just beg, please, can I get out of the way? This is honestly a safety hazard. He was first or second in exit velos in every single game they played. You had a Calarco ball that had a 113 exit velo on Friday. Uh, Utermark's home run on Saturday led the way with 112. But uh, Alderman at 116 twice, no one was sniffing that. And he had, a, for good measure, the first two days threw in a couple more 106s and 109. Uh, the guy can hit it, the baseball hard. That would be my analysis on that. Speaking of uh, shifting, the uh, Rebels did it. They, they, they did do did, it. They did a shift. So what do you think that was? Because it was a guy, if I'm not mistaken, when I saw the shift that happened in the first time, it uh, today, the Sunday game, it was a guy that I think was 0 for 9 on the weekend, and then I couldn't – I got too distracted to figure out if he's up for class. But, you know, Mike talked about it in the past. We're like, we need kind of some sample size on the guys. What do you think led to them doing that against a Delaware team that they clearly probably didn't have, you know, a ton of, uh, I'd say, reliable data to go off of? I guess I they do have some older guys. I don't know. As, as somebody that's not really watched much of the Friday or Saturday, did you notice them doing it Friday or Saturday? They did it definitely once on Friday, if I remember right. I don't – I should have paid closer attention to this. 
But I, uh, I definitely think Sunday was not the first game they did it. I'm almost 100% positive. One of the listeners can correct me out there if I'm wrong or tell me when. I'm pretty sure it happened at least once in game one. Okay. Um, I mean, Mike probably watched enough film to realize, hey, this guy's got a swing that, that leads to a lot of pulled ground balls. Um, that's what I would think would happen. I don't know that for a fact. Um, I think that's probably just something that maybe came up in film study and maybe they verified it with some swings earlier in the weekend. Um, not totally sure, but that that's what I would think of led to it. Pitching-wise, um, Hunter Elliott was about as good as advertised. It kind of looked like very much a Hunter Elliott start. Um, yeah. One walk, nine strikeouts. He makes it five innings, allows two earned runs on three hits. Um, not that this is overly surprising, but Mike did let him go 90 pitches. Um, he had a couple innings there. We kind of had to work out of some, I'd say, some mild trouble, and it spiked his pitch count a little bit, got it into some deeper counts. But, you know, cold weather day, I was a little bit surprised to see him go to 90 pitches. I don't know if that means anything at all, but he kind of let the uh, let the horses run there for a little bit. And then uh, as you so uh, as you were on top of this on the whatever Thursday show we did, um, yeah, JT Quinn come in. Pitches an inning. I think he only threw 13 pitches and got out of there. And he is the Tuesday, um, he is the Tuesday pitcher. That become kind of a calling card for Mike. That is what he enjoys doing, and that is what he likes going to afterward. But the real story from game one, you had Jay, you had Quinn, Morell, and Parento come in and cover a total of four innings after Hunter Elliott leaves. And I think they allowed one hit and maybe four base runners total. I think he had three walks and a hit. Um, and no runs for the Blue Hens there. So really uneventful stuff after Hunter Elliott. They were really good, and you kind of saw some similar on Saturday. The, today was really the only day um, you kind of saw Delaware show anything offensively. But you had some new guys that were really, really good. I would like to start here. Um, how about Rivas on uh, today? I thought he was really, really, really good. A um, lot of movement on the break and stuff. The fastball kind of gets up in the low 90s. He's a big grunter. You could hear him grunting out there from where I was sitting. Um, oh, wow. It was awesome today. What did you make of his outing? Yeah, he looked like a guy that could be really, really good in a Sunday roll. Um, not much con- not much control issues. Going to pound the strike zone um, consistently. That's where, you know, some guys get in trouble on Sundays is they're not able to consistently stay in the zone. Um, and, and even though – Delaware not very good at the sport of baseball. The zone is still the zone. He still attacked it fairly well. Um, so I, I think he's going to be a perfect guy for Ole Miss to throw out there on Sundays and, and keep them in baseball games. Is is he a Friday night guy? Probably not. But I think he is. He can certainly fill the void in the role that Ole Miss needs him to on Sundays in this league. And a dude with a ton of swing and miss stuff. One of the things that I made the mistake of – I guess this was just me not paying close enough attention as I should. He was only at the university. I, for some reason, thought he was a grad transfer. He was only at the university in Indianapolis for two years. You know, he's a true junior. Yes. Yes. He, he, yeah. And I knew he was, I actually thought he was a sophomore. Um, So we were both wrong. Yeah. (laughs) We were were definitely wrong on that. He has some ridiculous game logs from last year. Last year, he (laughs) made a total of one, two. I had this earlier. I want to say like 15 or 16 total uh, starts. He had at least 11 strikeouts. Or, uh, he had double-digit strikeouts in all but two of them and had 11 or more strikeouts in all but four of them. My man had 128 yeah. strikeouts last year in a total of, what would that be, 80 innings pitched. That'll hunt. Yeah, and, and something that Laugh does a really good job of is is noticing guys like that and whether their stuff will play at a Division One level, um, or you know if it's a lower level guy, 
like a John Gaddis, if that'll play at the SEC. Um, he does a really good job of, of being able to identify guys that will be able to help in the SEC and bumping up level. Um, so, so certainly good to see. He, he was, yeah, like you said, he was really good at college, Indianapolis. I believe that's correct. Um, yeah, Indianapolis and, and University I'm, looks like they appear to be the hounds. Okay. And, and he, he, you know, obviously has a good weekend and obviously was really good in air squad. So, um, certainly a good start for him. Obviously faded a little bit towards the end as the pitch count crept up. I don't think that's an issue to worry about. Um, and then then handed it off to the bullpen, and they were able to – bullpen actually kind of blew up a little bit on Sunday now that I think about it. Um, yeah, they did. They had some struggles there in the middle. It wasn't anything like overly terrible. They just got, got put a couple runners on the base path via walks, and then you had a guy – I forget which guy came in. I can't remember if it was Vera or who was in the game. Heineker? Was you had Heineker? a gapper? Yeah, uh, Henniger? Henniger, something like that. Um, what did you make of him? He offered a different look. That was kind of an interesting arm angle, that- some sort of breaking pitch that almost it almost like it was so funny watching him throw it um to a couple of I guess that'd be right-handed hitters. I'm trying to think out loud from my vantage point that it almost looked like some wiffle ball stuff where it looked like oh my god, is this going to hit me on my left shoulder? And then it went into the strike zone. A uh, little bit of a different look out of the board. Yeah, I thought I was I that we'd to accustomed to field. see. I walked to left field when he went in, so I didn't notice a ton. Um, was he throwing sidearm? It's it's not a full on. It's it's a. I don't know whether to call. It's not a full on sidearm, but I would say it's closer to that than like three quarter slot, if that makes sense. I'm telling you, I, and I'm not the biggest expert when it comes to like what constitutes what arm angle. I, di- I get the general concept of it, but it was very unique to say the least, and uh, had a lot of movement on his off speed stuff. Um, had a couple walks, a little bit of control issues, but uh, definitely uh. A different, and you talk about in the past, kind of Ole Miss has had a lot of right-handed pitchers that kind of throw the same way out of the bullpen. That's a different arm angle to give teams looks at if he is it ends up becoming a guy that contributes. Yeah, so so certainly, um, an interesting deal there. Um, but I, I, I'm not worried about him or Jordan Vera. Um, so you know, but back on Revis, um, man, he look, he, he's going to be a guy that from the left side. Um, 88 to 90 and, and consistently pounds the zone and, and has good movement from what I saw on his fastball, uh, which, which is good, especially if he can, can command the zone. So certainly, look, it's too early to say for sure that these are the guys that Ole Miss is going to throw in SEC play. But I'll be honest, um, I'll be rather shocked, barring injury, if this is not the rotation when I believe they head to Vanderbilt. Um, for the first weekend of SEC play, I think these are going to be the guys, and I think they're going to perform to the level that um, keeps them as as the rotation, especially going into SEC play. I, I just kind of think that these guys have outperformed what the other guys in as in in inter squads, and then this weekend, and and we'll keep those roles as we, um, uh, you know, as SEC play is kind of funny to say is three weeks away now. I'd agree with you. I think this is going to be the same guys as well. And again, something could happen next weekend and who knows, but barring like an injury or really an unforeseen blow up, it does really seem a lot more set in stone than it was in years past. I thought Sarnier for the most part was pretty good. Um, he, I know he struggled with some walks. I think he started each of the first two innings with the walk. Um, it was one of those ones where he like threw a couple really high and then a couple in the dirt. And it looked like he just kind of lost his mechanics for a bit um, on a couple of different batters. Uh, and I think Mike actually mentioned that after the game, but it was one of those things where he did when he did get in some spots and got into a little bit of trouble, he made some really, really good, really kind of, uh, I guess I would call them mature pitches to get out of it. And then you look up and he's pitched four innings. They only allowed one, uh, one hit, five strikeouts, the four walks. Obviously, he's probably the one negative in there. 
Um, definitely on a tight pitch count because of the tricep tightness, I would assume it's only 67 pitches over four innings, but like he showed the stuff that makes you believe what they were talking about when when they say that he had the best fall of anyone Mike's ever seen and him being just, I think the fourth guy in Mike's 23 years to start the year in the rotation. He kind of showed you what he can be despite it not being the most clean outing in the world, I guess. That was my takeaway. Yeah, no, it's, I, I, it's funny. I was coaching a baseball game. Um, and I had three text messages that said, holy crap, 95 miles an hour. Cause apparently he threw his first pitch either 94, 95 miles an hour. Um, and, and everybody was a little bit like, whoa, that's a freshman. It looked um, different. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I went back and watched some of his outing this morning before I went to the game. No, he looks good. He looks really, really good. So, um, that's the kid. That's the type kid you just, you put in there, let him figure it out because you know, some point um in his old miss career he's going to be extremely extremely special i heard a comp from him this weekend actually at the game from somebody that i think knows baseball um bobby wall you remember him yeah i do remember him he was pretty good yeah they they said that it kind of looked like that from an electricity standpoint i could see that i think that's an interesting comp um i'd have to think about that one for a second but that is interesting um he was pretty good um you know he pitches in the uh he got up to the bigs there is he still in the big leagues i don't think so bob got hurt um he did he did throw big league innings i know that um so they he looked pretty good there and then jack doherty looked like that he didn't have an offseason looked like they took him from uh td (laughs) ameritrade park okay so explain to me, I, I have not watched past probably about the fourth inning on Saturday. Explain to me why Jack Gordy pitched on Saturday. Well, obviously, why, I why think he pitched Mike, in a 10-0 game? Um, well, it wasn't 10-0 when, uh, when he got there. It was only – so Ole Miss okay. scored um, six of those runs from the sixth inning on, and they were up okay. four to nothing, I think, in the fifth. If I remember off the top of my head correctly, I can go in there and – uh and find it you had no maybe it was the sixth is when it was when he comes in there but anyway he had a little bit of a jam and so it's only a four nothing game at that point um and they uh excuse me the blue hens had the bases loaded so doherty comes okay, in for kimbrell and immediately gets out of it uh with the strikeout i think the bat lasted like four pitches and boom he got him out it might just let him finish it okay fair enough fair enough i, I didn't i hadn't looked at the box if i'm honest um so I was I watched some Asanya start this morning and then realized today um somebody told me that, that Doherty threw two innings on Saturday and was like he's probably not available today. I'm like, what I, it, the score was ten to nothing. Anyway, so I'm an idiot. Um yeah, no, uh, Doherty's look, I think he's perfect for this role, the high spin fastball. Um there's a reason. I think so here's a here's a hot take. I think Jack Doherty, um, I think he's gonna be really good in SEC play. But the high spin fastball and the slider that he possesses, I think, gives teams like Delaware and to a smaller extent like Oklahoma last year in the in the Dash Championship Series. I think he gives real problems to teams that don't see it consistent elite pitching because that that high spin fastball and the slider that he possesses is is certainly um, a weapon. And if you don't see that type of arm often, it's it's certainly hard to to be able to catch up to and to hit with any type of regularity. That makes sense. And it he was at 95, I think, hit a couple of times. And then <laughs> another one, I know we didn't see a ton of JT Quinn, and you're going to kind of see him really for the first time in extended action on Tuesday against Arkansas State. But that's a kid that came in and hit 96 and hit 95 a couple of times. 
in the 13 pitches that he did throw. So I'm kind of, you know, that's two pretty high velo guys that they have, mm-hmm. at least right now, as a starter. Uh, yeah. And Sonny A, that's, uh, that's not something you've seen a lot from Ole Miss in the past. Yeah, my favorite uh, statement that I read, and I can't remember if I read it on D1 or what it was about JT Quinn. It was like, yeah, he throws 96 miles an hour, but the fastball is not anything special. It like doesn't have good life. I'm like, besides the fact that it's 96. Yeah, um, like, other than that, how is the play, Mrs. Lincoln? Like, what are you talking yeah. about? That small detail aside. Yeah, other than the fact that he throws the ball, he can throw it 98 miles an hour. Uh, it's not great, so. Uh, no, I'm excited to watch JT Quinn on Tuesday and see what see what he's gonna see what he's gonna do for the Rebs. Um, he 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 certainly. I think it's interesting that they're gonna start him um, with that velo. It kind of tells you what they think about him um, and going forward what his role may be. So, um, and you know that's an important role. It's an important role that you have a fourth pitcher um, and a guy that can get you into you know give you long outings on the weekends. That's certainly certainly an important thing. So. Um, interested to see what you know he looks like against the Red Wolves on Tuesday afternoon. And you talk about the the um the rotation it kind of seemingly being set barring something unforeseen. And again, it's really early, but it certainly kind of gives the feeling that it feels a little more set than in years past, where they're still trying to find guys. Particularly when you have to replace two thirds of the rotation uh, to some degree, it feels a little bit more set with the team that is lost. Uh, Josh Mallets. And one note that I actually thought was interesting was um, the fact that uh, Riley Maddox was dressed and he is on the active roster, which would lead you to believe that there's a chance that they may be seeing later in the season. But he was not in street clothes. He was dressed out. I texted Chase about that today when I noticed it. And uh, Chase being the uh, dutiful reporter that he is actually put that in a note in his Saturday story that I had not yet seen. So they are uh, potentially holding out hope for the fact that he can return, it makes sense. I don't remember exactly when he got injured last year, but he missed a lot of the season. So no I imagine like March or so you're going to come up on the 12-month mark. So it doesn't seem impossible. Uh, Yeah, middle of April um, against Mississippi State was when he was injured. That's right. I, I'm trying to, trying to think that's 12. June would be 14. Yeah, I could see some role in maybe May or so. And, I mean, obviously he was really good last year. So, um, no, I mean, I don't know – the roster mechanics and how that works. But I feel like if he can throw it all, considering how good he was at times last year, you, you at least just eat that roster spot and let him have it. And the point I was kind of trying to get at before I stumbled on that Riley Maddox note was the fact that when you do have two guys, at least right now that are unavailable, that were contributors when they were healthy last year, you know, Mallet's obviously finished out the season. His was an off season deal that becomes a little bit more important. Um, I don't think this team is necessarily struggling for depth, or at least I don't believe they're at that point at this point. But you have another injury or so, and all of a sudden you're kind of looking out there, uh, particularly when you get in the SEC play and kind of the cream rises to the crop. Um, I think that's kind of important if you're not having to shuffle around the rotation a bunch and try to find guys in different roles when you're already kind of missing two important pieces of that bullpen. Uh, yeah. No, it's uh, certainly – certainly the bullpen's the most interesting – position right yes um, i think that'd be the one question mark if you wanted to call it such a thing yeah no i, I think that's certainly um there, certainly where i'd look at if you know i'm like well what is this team if you can tell me how the bullpen is going to perform this year i think i have a pretty good read on this team um because i think they're going to hit and i th- think the starting pitching is going to be okay um it's kind of that situation really honestly you remember in 2021 where um the Broadway deal, and it was like they got to find somebody to get it to Broadway, and it got to the point. Well, no, you don't. Just give the ball to Broadway. Screw yeah. the bridge. The hell with the bridge. I don't care about a bridge. Just give them the ball. We'll figure everything else out. Um, it's kind of that way this year. It's like, all right, 
who's going to be able to bridge this to Doherty, or am I just going to have to give the ball straight to Doherty at times this year? Mike called Doherty arguably the best pitcher on the team and alluded to the fact that they can use him in a, t- in a ton of different ways and kind of his selfless nature makes that easier as well. I thought that was a very interesting comment that Mike made, uh, both parts of it. The, we can use him in so many different ways and he might be the best pitcher on the team. Um, to your point, it sounds like they can do that if they need to. Obviously, you know, as mesmerizing as that Broadway stuff was to watch, I wouldn't call that an ideal scenario. I don't think Mike would prefer to have had it that way because remember it got to the point where it was like, how far can you actually push this thing? <laughs> well, I remember him uh, closing back-to-back games on Fridays in, in like double headers, like him literally throwing twice in the same day. That was where the bullpen was at at that point in time in 2021. And it wasn't even like, I don't know if they should do this. It was like, no, you have to do this because God knows if you put somebody else on that mound. Um, so, yeah, no, certainly, certainly don't prefer it to be that way. And you would prefer to be able to get the ball to Doherty in the seventh or eighth inning instead of, you know, the fourth or the fifth. Um, like they sometimes had to do with Broadway that year, except in start roll on Sunday. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, that's the, that's the position that, that you kind of want to look for and, and see what, uh, see how that transpires. Last note I had before we kind of get to the questions and get out of here. Uh, I don't know if this was a uh, concerted strategy by uh, Bianco and the staff throughout this off season. Uh, this team would, uh, this team is not going to, uh, to be uh, laughed at when they get off the bus. They uh, they look like a football team at times out there. They have some big dudes between Furnace and uh, Udermark. Uh, um, and Sam Tukian was another new kid that got in there. He's a big dude. They have some – and, of course, Kemp Alderman and then an actual SEC defensive lineman in Taiwan Malone. They have some big dudes on this team. I don't know what to make of that. I don't know if that's any sort of uh, actual serious analysis. I just was like – Bunch of big dudes. I wrote that in my notes app. They could play football. Oh, so you remember, like, I don't know, in 2019 when they struggled a little bit, and then last year it was like, man, I don't know if this team has it in them. If they got in a fight, what would happen to them? Not saying that this year. Not saying that this year because I know what would happen. <laughs> that's that's a, probably the best way to look at it. It's like if this team were to get into some sort of physical altercation, I would actually put them as the favorite against most other clubs. And I'm saying that without looking at sizing up any other SEC. I feel like, I'm going to be real honest. If I am like the shortstop from Vanderbilt and I'm probably going to be a first round pick and my DA pitcher like hits Alderman in his ribs and he comes to the mouth. I'm not, dude, I'm not going up there. I'm not, that's not me. Like you did that. That's on you, bro. He comes out there with that bat. I got millions waiting on me, you idiot. Uh, I'll let you eat this one. Yeah, just let the guy be eaten by the wolves. Win, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. I, I would agree <laughs> with that. I would not want to jump in the ring with several of these dudes. Let's get to some questions real quick before we kind of look a, a little bit around the SEC and get out of here. Um, I fielded these about an hour before we started recording. You got and, a good many. Yeah, we did. We'll see what we got for uh, our, our listeners are very rabid out there. You know, we were asking about the uh, – the, um, Jack Washburn thing, like why he went to Texas Tech, and we I immediately had a couple of messages from people explaining that his brother plays out there and that he wanted to go play out there with them. And then someone – I haven't been able to confirm this myself. Apparently he got hurt. Uh, apparently Kendall Rogers reported that he had a shoulder issue, uh, which is kind of a bummer. Um, oh, there. But that is uh, – we the listeners kept us uh, – Kept us abreast of the current happenings and situation. Where are these questions? Why in the world can I not find – there we go. Here we go. Um, all right, here we go. Let's see. Who's going to be – the leadoff hitter. Uh, Riley asks us, how many times would it take you to field a line drive hit to you the third base when I kept Waterman? Oh, boom. Great minds think alike. We uh, we, we answered this one, did we not? No, no, that was, take you. 
that's what I was saying. Yeah, we had a we had a question on this. That's that's the one I was referring to. Um, so like I'll put it like this. I was really bad in the field as a as a high school player because I caught my entire life and usually if and, and I sucked in the field because I was always able to just, you know, drop to my knees and block the ball because I caught, which is not really a great strategy at third base. You don't really want to, you know, hit your knees and let the ball hit you in the chest because one, that's not the most efficient way to get people out. Two, you might eat it off the face, which wasn't a big deal if you were catching because you had a mask on. So I would frankly be scared for my life because I think my instant reaction would be to drop to my knee and try to block it. And then I would eat it off the forehead and die. Um, so probably, I don't know. Uh, I would probably be dead by at least probably the third one. I think, I think I'd be dead by the third one. Yeah, I, I, I might probably be dead before that, but you actually played baseball. So it'd take you three. I think I'd be dead off of, uh, off of one. What, uh, let's see, keeping it going here. Is this team repeating as national champions? Yes or yes. It doesn't sound like we have a ton of options there, my friend. <laughs> uh, sure. I it think, is tough I to repeat, but man, this team looks like they're going to give a noble title defense, if nothing else. They are, I'll, I'll, I'll go out on a limb. They will not finish last in the SEC. Uh, I'm with you there. I, I think we could. Uh, I think we could probably agree on not that. Gonna... That would be a pretty safe, uh, safe uh, assumption there. Let's see what do we got going on here. We have any idea what to expect for midweek pitching or a closer, assuming we don't run rule everybody. Yeah, I mean we got uh, Quinn so far, and then uh, I think Doherty's the closer in a perfect world, right? Uh, yeah, I think she was asking about maybe who would close midweek games because there is the the situation where you know Doherty throws five innings on a weekend and isn't um available on a Tuesday um and who may be that closure I'm interested in uh a name that I thought might pitch this weekend and didn't Braden Jones um yeah. I think he would set up in that role but um you know I think Vera they let him finish the game today Nichols is certainly an option there um they, they've got a a, a plus, plethora of different guys so um be interesting to see uh hopefully they won't be closing the game Tuesday night hopefully that'll be another run roll who and Grant Sito asked us who impressed you the most, the freshman hitters or the pitchers? I'm going to go with the pitchers because I think you knew probably what you had with a lot of these guys from a plate standpoint. Uh, yeah, I'll go there. I'll go there. Um, and I don't think they started a freshman outside of Udermark and, and uh, uh, Furnace at the DH spot. So, um, no, that definitely the pitcher so far for me. When do you expect – Trey Moss asked us, when do you expect the NCAA to officially cancel the college baseball season since the Tennessee Volunteers lost two and three this weekend? It's a good, it's a good question. It's a good question. Look, um, the last time that Ole Miss – well, uh, when Ole Miss was going to win the national championship in 2020, they canceled it, and Ole Miss tricked them in 2022 about winning the national championship. They, they pretended to suck and uh, then won the national title, so they had to trick the NCAA. Um you know, so so maybe that I think you were thinking about Ole Miss winning the national title again. They're going to cancel the season. I don't know. It is a shame that Tennessee invented the sport and uh, sucks at the sport. I do really, really hate that. I, I hope they, I hope they get it fixed over there in Knoxville. Um, before when you they said that, it made me think: Are we allowed to joke about them canceling the season? You know, five years ago, it'd have been like, ah, ha, ha, cancel the season. And twenty twenty happens. Like, don't put that bad juju on us. I would like that not to happen ever again. Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, I was miserable in June and July of twenty twenty. Let's, let's. Not cancel the season. 
That was so bad. I got to give a shout out to uh, a loyal listener, Bailey Winters. I was, again, being yeah. a smart ass on the internet about Tennessee. This reply, I was sitting at work and I was about to go to lunch and I looked at it and it made me crack the hell up. I think I, I, I was the same thing. It was the same bit we did on Wednesday about like danking Tennessee as we enter another college baseball season. But he replied and said, how can you tell the story of baseball without mentioning Knoxville? <laughs> That maybe that was good stuff. That really you got you got Starkville, Oxford, Baton Rouge, Fayetteville, Knoxville, <laughs> Cooperstown, uh, Knoxville. Same thing. Um, that, that, that one, I uh, that one really made me laugh. Um, we got some off the wall questions. We had a stoner. We got a guy chiming in here. Stoner debate. M and M's or wait, where did this go? Uh, I don't know what this guy's insinuating here. Here we'll go with the real one while I find it. Jason Campbell asked what we think of the new action pitch clock modifications uh, okay this so, is something mike thought was going to be a big deal i don't think it really came up much this weekend but you saw all, we got we got all miss had a ball called on him in game three that's right noticed. it was that 3-1 it went to 3-1 count after yeah. is it because he so i was getting up to go pee at that point and came back when they were arguing about it is what was that did he step off too many times is that what happened no, no idea i just know it it something happened um so interesting and I don't know if Mike was mad or if he was just trying to get the reasoning. Um, it Dave looked a Van little Horsen, bit of both. It looked like he kind of gave his little sauntering out there. I don't think he liked the way. I th- I want to say for some reason the second base umpire got in the mix and called it when I think technically okay, so it's supposed that, to be the home plate guy. That may have been what he was chapped about. Okay. But then it more, seemed more so he was trying to get the explanation after that. Uh, Dave Van Horn said it's ruining the sport. Are you kidding me? He said it's ruining the sport. He said that he can't do a – if they wanted to change butt coverages, they couldn't do it in 20 seconds. And I was sitting there thinking, uh, yeah, you can. It's not hard. Just yell out a number. It's not real hard. Um, yes. He How would said you need the, 20 seconds to do that? Yeah, you don't. You, you don't. We change – we literally at the high school level with kids that are not um, SEC players, we change butt coverages and, and defensive alignments all the time very quickly. So – um, ruining the sport is what Dave Van Horn said. It is ruining the sport. Um, have I mentioned that I hate Arkansas baseball? You might have mentioned that a time or two. Yes. Yeah. So ruining. Now how about the sport. this one? In in a, in the in the latest case of pot meat kettle, um, Jim Sloshnagel quote tweeted the Ben McDonald thing with the Tennessee batter, and Sloshnagel said total Sloshnagel said total joke. Only college baseball changes the rules every all caps to emphasize the point year. Not fair to anyone involved, including umpires, players, and coaches. Uh, should D- Jim Sloshnagel, of all people, be the one railing against the uh, the pitch clock? That that seems like the wrong ambassador for that that community. Who's got that? The, the the dude whose team took four and a half hours to play games. No, I don't feel sorry for him. I, don't, I mean, I don't they could name that. the rule the Sloshnagel rule. That's, yeah, that's that's it good was stuff. it was a root canal watching Texas A and M play baseball last year. You put coach baseball, you played baseball. Should it ever take you more than the 20 seconds to throw a pitch? No, no. To the point, um, I coach our pitchers, and it's like get on the mound and go. Um, I want I want the hitter to be uncomfortable we're pitching so fast, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, I, no. Get on the mound. Get in the, get in the box. Let's go. Like, I don't, I don't get why we are – Okay, and I'm not saying that you have to, that it had there has to be great emphasis on shortening the games. I'm, I, but at some point, like, just get in the box, get on the mound, let's throw the ball. Like, 
I don't know why we have to have all this spare time in between pitches and why everyone needs to fasten their gloves 72 times. I don't know. Um, maybe I maybe it's my ADD, but I'm a big fan of the pitch clock. I am. It gave me something to do in between pitches. Like, I'm counting it down like a shot clock. I'm like, oh, oh my God, throw it. You're, you know, like how if you're watching your team play football and it's like there's like two on the play clock and you're like, oh, my God, snap the ball. Well, now it's like, oh, my God, throw the ball. And if college baseball ever kind of want to take it to the next level and get sure. all mainstream cable TV, you got to get the game times more, one, shorter, but also more consistent so you don't have these networks that are like, well, and, this game ended in two and a half hours. This one's four. Why are we putting this on TV where there's you know time constraints? Um, yeah. That, I think that's going to help the future. And, and I think college game. baseball is getting in a position where it might take off from a, from a popularity standpoint. Um, it's more po- – I can tell you this – from a social media standpoint and and people across the country, it's way more popular today than it was five years ago. Oh, 100%. Um, and the the streaming aspect of it where you can watch all these games. I remember when we were in college, it was hard to watch Ole Miss on the road a lot of the time. Sure. Um, sure. So you're exactly right. So I, I think they do need to start thinking about these things. Wes Crockett chimes in and asks, will Peyton Chatney win the Triple Crown? Should Barry Bonds feel nervous about his 73 home run record? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, no, look, Peyton Shotney is a lot of fun. Um, he he won me over a lot last year when he this this is how you know you've got a mentally tough player. Okay, this kid struggled all year long. Okay, till and it, but he did two things. He never let it get to him, um, and was able to in June be extremely consistent for Ole Miss and have a ton of huge hits. And what he never did was he never took his bad offense into the field. Frankly, he he focused more in the field and was extremely good in the field because he knew I'm not producing at the plate right now. And I think that's a massive deal, and it lets me know that he's an extremely mentally tough and mentally sound player, and I think that's a big deal and extremely impressive. So um, he's become one of my favorite players um, and, and someone I, I kind of root extra hard for because that that that's a really, really good sign for me. Well said. And had he folded it up last year and not been an option, they don't win the national. They don't go to Omaha. They probably don't make it to a. Well, I can tell you this: they don't win game two against Arkansas if he doesn't make spectacular play after spectacular play. Absolutely, the Uh, dude almost essentially dove into the stands and broke his ribs trying to catch a foul ball. Well, how about the first game in the regional against Arizona? They were losing that game until he like literally single handedly propelled them forward. Yeah. No. And and, no, that that kid. he he won't have the popularity of Tim Elko, and and I get the reasoning why, but man, uh, for me, he's he's one of the best. He's one of the most uh, fun players to watch that's come through this program. We've started a wildfire here. Jacob Duke chimes in and just says Tennessee frauds? Question mark. You know what? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. I either I'm wrong or, and nobody remembers, and everybody's like, oh, he just hates Tennessee, and that's fine. I'm fine to be accused of that, or I'm right and I look like genius. So yes, Tennessee frauds. What's it, Irish Reb, Stoner Debate, Peanut Butter M&M's, or Reese's Pieces. What are you insinuating here, Guy? What, what kind of podcast do you think this is? Answer yeah. is Reese's Pieces, in my opinion. But that's either here or there. Yeah, I'm, yeah, de- definitely Reese's Pieces. Yes, because, yeah, they're more filling. So uh, uh, cannabis companies, please sponsor this show. Um, let's say <laughs> Seth Rogen, please date me. This is another one of the internet names I don't understand. Does Colin support women in athletics? Sounds so like, like this is the game today. I did, and I've I've gone to softball games. Um, I've watched. I will tell you this: 
I have probably watched more girls play basketball over the past four months than anybody in that Twitter thread. So, um, yes, I think I, I think it would be fair to say yes. Checkmate, nerds. Uh, Matt Barnhouse, why do why can I put my love into everyone around me, but not never in myself? I don't have the degree to answer that one, pal. Um, <laughs> love you, Matt, uh, uh, but not not a therapist. Not not. I was never smart enough to be that. I, I sometimes have to play that though as te- as as I teach ninth graders. I sometimes have to be a therapist when they tell me about their breakups, and I'm like, "Buddy, you're 14." <laughs> that will not be the one that got away, buddy. Just wait till you get your driver's license. I had a, we had a yeah we had a, we had a, a teacher the other day tell a kid it was like the odds of you guys getting through high school together were like five percent. The odds you guys got through college together were like 1%. The odds you guys got through a marriage together were 0%. Sweetie, just calm down. It's going to be okay. I do remember being that age thinking it's the end of the world. It's like, damn, she didn't text back. Like, how do I go on with life? But uh, it all worked out. Dude, were worked you out. Uh, So when you first started texting, were you able to have like signatures? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like every time you send a text message, you could put a signature at the end of it. Like it was I was never cool. a signature guy, but I do remember the feature. And then there was that, and then uh, different ringtones. I had a, an yeah. arsenal of ringtones at my disposal. You would get Bluetooth different ringtones. I yeah. was never smart enough to download the ringtones, but I could get them Bluetooth to me. Um, I think I tried to download them one time, and it crashed my phone. I'm pretty sure that website was pretty illegal. Um, <laughs> so that was, was it LimeWire? <laughs> maybe it was, but LimeWire seemed to actually work. This was some sketchy deal trying to – your guys is trying to get ringtones to be the coolest kid in study hall, and uh, now my phone is basically fried. So that didn't work did, out did great. You, were, were you a Razor guy or were you a Slaughter guy? I had a – my first was ever was a Samsung flip phone, but I also had a Razor, and then I went to a slider called the LG Shine after that. I had a silver okay. LG Shine, and uh, Buddy was the ego large when I got that thing. Was uh, When did we go straight iPhone? I was late to the party. I actually did not go to uh, straight to the iPhone until my senior year, end of my senior year of high school. So wow. that would have been the spring of 2013. And that's only because I broke my BlackBerry, which is the way that happened is a story I cannot tell. Um, <laughs> but I was the one of the last guys with the BlackBerry. So I was actually late to the party. What about you? So you were you were the guy that caused the green messages that were that was hated. Yeah, pretty much. That was that was me. And they're like, what What do you mean? I'm like, you see Brick Breaker. It's pretty cool. Um, And I didn't really have a better argument outside of that. So I was late. Were you pretty early on it? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you got to understand, I graduated two years before you, high school, and I had an iPhone junior year of high school. So, wow. Um, yeah, iPhones were a big thing around my city. So, um Oh, yeah. I think I was a minority in that sense. I I don't think I was a, a part of a larger community of BlackBerry users. I just, for whatever reason. So you, do, do you remember your uh, BlackBerry Messenger pen? Because that was a big thing. It was 1908, the last time the Cubs won the World Series, I think. Damn, I was a cool kid. I don't know why more people didn't date me in high school. Um, Why is Missouri oh, the largest state in the union and how? I, okay, I so I want to, I want to explain the context here. Okay. Um. That Randy is, is one of my good friends. Randy and uh, Dylan Edwards went to Omaha. So Ole Miss beats Arkansas on a Monday night, right? And they load up and go to Omaha on Tuesday, drive through the night, uh, or excuse me, they wake up, they drive to Omaha, um, and they get there. And I'm talking to them, and they are, uh, they asked me, they were like, hey, uh, Missouri's the biggest state in the union. 
Uh, I don't care what maps say. I don't give a damn. It's Missouri is the biggest state in America. I'm like, oh, shut up. Well, I drive to Omaha the next day, and I swear to God, I never got out of Missouri. Because you, the way you drive from Oxford to Omaha, you drive through my Missouri diagonally. I swear to God, you're in that state 17 hours. It is the biggest state I have ever seen in my life. You know, now that you mentioned that, I always had when Ole Miss would go play in Missouri for football, basketball, or whatever. It was always I always had to drive because it's hard to fly to because you have to do sure. Kansas City or St. Louis, and by the time you drive to Memphis, go get on a plane, drive there, rent a car, and actually get to Columbia, it's not worth it. And I do actually remember kind of passing Jonesboro, Arkansas getting into Missouri and like four and a half hours later still being like, I, I'm not here yet. Like how, how far up does this state go? So I, I could get behind that. I, you know, measuring sticks be damned. It definitely does feel large. Yeah. And the way you drive it to Omaha, Nebraska is so miserable. Um, I've never, ever, I have decided I'm never driving to Omaha ever, ever again. I will fly. That is uh flying is always the way to go when trying to get a trip over about 10 hours. Let's see. Should Kim Balderman be in consideration for linebacker? Sure. I'm uh, yes. <laughs> Cause as, I, I don't know what Ole Miss's front seven looks like, but uh, certainly, uh, certainly would consider it. Taking an early guess on who will be the most dependable bullpen arm that is not named Jack Doherty or Mason Nichols. Ooh. Ooh. That's a really good question. I'm going to say it's um, too early to tell, but I'll still give him an answer. But that it, that feels like a tough one. Um, yeah. Mitch Morrell pitched two innings this weekend. He did. Thought that was interesting. Um, I don't know. I'll let you answer first, and then I'll go. Uh, tiny, tiny, tiny sample size. But uh, I thought I liked the way Sam Tukian pitched. Um, his name's fun to I say. He's a big good. dude. Um, so that's one I'll throw out there. And then, uh, Morrell would probably be the other answer, honestly. Um, he pitched pretty well. Yeah. I'm going with Morrell just cause he's older. Um, and, and maybe been in some games before I, so I'll go with kind of, like you said, a little too early to tell. Why does it burn when I pee? I, I don't know. That, that's, I can't, I can't answer that one, man. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I, don't I know. could, but I'm not. Yeah. Whatever you're drinking, stop. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's a drink. Well, I guess it's definitely never mind. <laughs> uh, Wall Feinbaum is the fella's name. Just getting the pot off the rails. So I appreciate that one. Uh, last one. Oh, we covered this. What's the role for Mason Nichols? Very dependable, highly used reliever. I just think it was a product of you can't get everybody in this weekend. Um, last one that kind of gets us into the last piece of the show before I let you get out of here. He says, who's the best SEC baseball team after one weekend? I will admit, I didn't get to watch a ton of college baseball. Yeah, I didn't either. Weekend, caught some of the Tennessee game on Friday night. Um, I caught some of whoever TCU played on Saturday, I think. That would be Arkansas. So not they a beat, ton. They, they beat the Hogs, which was a shame. I hated that for the Hogs. TCU, uh, um, just absolute offensive explosion. Um, I'm they, assuming they're winning tonight. I haven't looked. They're up six to three in the fifth on Missouri, but they drop eighteen runs on Arkansas and eleven on Vanderbilt. That'll hunt. Yeah, that's wow. Okay, um, noted. Horn Frogs, good. Yeah, yeah. no, so, I, I didn't year. watch a ton. Um, I assume you heard about Tommy White. Did you hear what from from LSU? The guy that hit all the bombs in NC State last weekend. He. Uh, I don't know if he started today. I know he didn't yesterday. He slid Oh, eligibility back. issue. No, 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 no. Uh, that's Tennessee. Um, oh, that's right. That's the kid from uh, Kansas. Kansas, yes. 
Tommy White slid back into first base and apparently jammed his shoulder and, and didn't start on Saturday. They're waiting on, I guess, some results from that. I don't know if he maybe started today, but but he got hurt on Friday. And then, yes, Tennessee starting shortstop has some eligibility issues, which that's interesting. Very, very interesting. Uh, yeah, that, that, that you know, someone showed me that uh, while I was at the game on Friday. Um, yeah, it's not often in this sport that they found it. You hear a lot about eligibility issues with dudes, a high profile transfer that everyone was after. Um, I'll just leave it at, hmm, interesting. Very, very interesting. The, the uh, starting shortstop at Tennessee is not eligible. Oh, I did some, well, anyway. uh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to give you a Tommy White update. No, no, that's all I was, that's all I was saying. That's very interesting. All right, what were you going to say on Tommy White? Just some live quick research. Uh, my guy Glenn West, who's the uh, just your average height, six ten LSU reporter, good guy. Uh, he literally is six ten, one of the largest humans I've ever come in contact with. Said Tommy White's shoulder uh, was better today, according to Jay Johnson. I don't think he'll be out much longer. But the other piece of it I was going to throw at you was when I searched his name, um, trying to get an update on Twitter. There appears to be. Uh, a right shoulder injury he suffered on April 29th of last year at, oh, wow. at um, NC State. I have no idea if they're related, but that is interesting. Yeah, no, that is interesting. Um, certainly for college baseball's sake, I hope he's okay. Uh, I think, look, I think it would still be when LSU sweeps as the number one team in the country, I think it would be naive to not say that LSU is the best team in the country. Um, as good as advertised, it seemed like. Yes, yes. Um. Ole Miss will be ranked number three tomorrow, taking Tennessee's spot, uh, who's number two. Stanford one, two of three. Um, so they'll be two, um, according to D1 Baseball. So I think it's still LSU until proven otherwise, but but certainly uh, there's some good teams in college baseball. Uh, there are definitely some good ones. We already covered the uh, Tennessee aspect of it. Um, how about the uh, occurrences in Starkville this weekend? Did you keep an eye on this? So um, – Watch that going to to going to our basketball game Saturday night. I, look, I'm not going to comment on kids specifically or coaches specifically. Here's what I'll say: an SEC program should not walk. I believe it was 14 people in nine innings against the Villa, Virginia Military Institute. That should not happen. And you can say, "Oh, the kids had a bad day." It's 14 walks. It was multiple kids having a bad day. Um, man, that's uh that's a ton of walks and then they hit two more. So maybe it was like 16 free passes in nine innings. That's uh, oof. and then today that's was your second close. game of the season too. Like that's yeah. not like you got like to Saturday in Hoover or something. It's like, Hey, we're out of arms. We're, we're going to yeah. batten down the hatches and ride this sucker out, pal. That's about as fresh as you're ever going to be. Uh, presumably because they had the game in hand on Friday, you're going to throw, you know, some of your best guys, guys that you believe will contribute 14 walks of alarming. They had VMI had the 13 runs. They ended up winning 14, 13. So I don't know what it finished at, but when they got to 13 runs to take the 13 to 12 week, they had 13 runs on five hits. That's a team that went 16 and 40 last year. Oh my God. Um, And I'm going to tell you this. I'll say this. I can't, I don't know what the final wound up today. I know state one. I'm pretty sure. Um, Nine three, but they were down three to two in the fifth or sixth inning. I will tell you this, and I I, I need to look at states' rest of their non conference schedule. You cannot get a uh, hosting spot shirt up in February in the first part of March. But I can tell you this right it's now: wandering. you can lose one. You can lose one. You look at twenty fourteen Mississippi State; they went eighteen and twelve in the SEC and didn't host. And you are like, why? They lost like three games to Holy Cross. 
Okay. So I get that, you know, it's early in the year, but I'm telling you, you could wreck your RPI right now. So that is an RPI record too, just of a loss. And like, you would know this better than I would. I mean, how bad would that have been had they actually lost today? Because I mean, look, they oh, ended up winning the game. They scored five in the eighth inning and it turned out to be the score wasn't close, but that's a three, three game in the sixth inning. You lose two of those. It's like, my God, what happened here? Um, yeah, like that, no, that's, that's all. Like two losses with that high. Like, what do you figure? VMI is probably in the two high two hundreds RPIs. Would you guess? Yeah, I would guess two seventy to two ninety. Um, two of those yeah. are hard to absorb. One is already kind of a blemish. Not yeah, kind of it so. is. Yeah. So two two would have been and again, I'd have to look at states the rest of their non conference to to see if it's a legit worry. But I'm telling you, you start losing a lot of low two hundred RPI games. Good luck hosting a regional come come January. Or excuse me, come June. It's a tough, tough thing to do when your RPI is in the thirty because we know that the NCAA uh, on regional host and national seed bases it pretty much solely on RPI. So, um, which is dumb, but that's what they do. So, definitely something if you're bull bulldogs, you need to make sure you you kind of sweep the next few weekends. Um, something really the last thing I had, the only thing noteworthy, uh, Texas goes 0 and 3 on the weekend. They lose to Mizzou, Vandy, and I guess that'd have been Arkansas. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's odd. That's interesting for a team that was in Omaha last year. Look, teams have bad first weekends all the time and it turns out fine, but uh, welcome to the SEC. And now my podcast intro is playing. Why don't you keep doing that? <laughs> okay, so now uh, jump the gun there. Uh, you could even call it an hour and a half too late, but uh, nice little way to uh, end the chaotic pod there. Um, anything else? Did we miss anything? Uh, no, I think that's it. I think that's it. All right, man. I appreciate it as always. Good to be back in the saddle here in season, and we'll holler at you probably next Sunday. All right, sounds good, my man. All right, that was Colin Brister. Appreciate his time. As always, we'll be back with a couple uh, pods here in the midweek, and then as Ole Miss gears up to play a series against a uh, ranked Maryland team. So uh, that will be interesting as a kind of a litmus test early on in the year for the Rebels. Thanks for listening to this pod. As always, we'll be back a little later on in the week.